Hey, listener, are you happy with your current chicken wings? Do you wish you had something a little saucier? If you answered yes, then it might be time for you to break up with your old chicken wings and get a new honey. Lemon pepper wing from Popeye's. Share the wings with your friends so they can see it's time to move on, too. Head to Popeye's and get six-piece honey lemon pepper wings for $5.99. At participating U.S. restaurants, price may vary. Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut, but if you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. We need a little class back on the show. We need somebody that deserves everybody's respect. And who better to do that than the king? That's right. The king himself, Jerry Lawler. Sir, how are you this morning? I think I'm doing wonderfully. Am I supposed to see you guys right now? I don't see you guys. Oh, I, yes, we you see be. you. I think you have to swipe you, well, to the right. I believe I guess, you, as long as you can see me. We could see you. I mean, I think okay. you, I think you swipe to the right on your phone. I, on I, your can't, phone. I can't. I, I'm not a good swiper. If I, I swipe it. to the right, some girl would be calling me. Listen, I. <laughs> I, I, I swiped to the left. I lost my first wife, wife, and then I swiped to the right. I lost my second wife, so I don't swipe anymore either. Um, a, lot go, a lot going on with you, but I got to bring this up, and I, ho- I hope it's okay that I bring it up. But you and Bully were talking about Jerry Mathers. You got the chance to meet Jerry Mathers? The Beaver? Yes, yes, the Beaver and Wally. Uh, Tony Dow is the guy that wow. plays his brother on the TV show. Yeah, you know, this past weekend, uh, well, weekend before last, at the Rhode Island Comic Con. I wasn't even going to do the Comic Con because, uh, I, I don't know, I, I had Seattle coming up and Chicago coming up. But then I heard that uh, Wally and the Beaver were going to be there, so I agreed to do it just to meet those guys. And it was it was, uh, it was was really cool. I was I was really fanboying. The, before I actually got to meet them, I was in the green room uh, with my buddy Mike Kingston, and we're sitting at a table having some little snacks before we went out to our, our desk or our booth. And all of a sudden, the first time I saw him, in walks the beaver and his wife, and they go and sit at a table over behind us. So I do I do the old fanboy thing. I got my phone and I put it up, and I took a picture of me smiling with the beaver in the background. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, how, that's how big a fan I was of Leave it to Beaver. But anyway, I, I did get to meet both the uh, both uh, Tony Dow and Jerry Mathers and their wives, and they were they were just awesome. It was a lot of fun. Dave, it was so funny because uh, about ten minutes after King had gotten there, me and Bradshaw had uh, walked into the green room also, and you know the King is talking about fanboying full blown marking out because he was like a little kid showing us on his phone. He's like, guys, look, look, it's the Beaver, and he shows us a picture. Of you know he did the, you know the selfie just like wrestling fans have probably done to King for years and years and years and uh, and and it was uh, you know he did the same thing and and then he got his autograph and, and I, King I don't think I've ever seen you the fanboy for anybody uh, quite oh, like well, I saw you the no, other day. I, 
honestly, bully, I I do a lot. I mean, that's that's one of the things I enjoy about uh, about doing the comic cons is meeting the people. I mean, one of the first ones that I that uh, I got to see at a comic con was William Shatner, and of course, you know, he and I were big became big buddies and that sort of thing. But then the only other time that I can remember doing the the fanboy picture thing uh, with the, my face and then the person in the background. One time on a plane with Joan Jett, uh, I, I, I did the fanboy picture. And then another time on a plane, I'm sitting right across from uh, the, the the couple from Schitt's Creek. And okay. I'm just, yeah, and I'm just looking over and it's, oh my God. And I had to get the camera out without them, look, without them seeing. And I, I, I didn't even have the nerve to talk to them. But uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm just a, I'm just a big fan. You know, I grew up in the I grew up in the Leave It to Beaver era. That was my we're, we're about the same age, and those guys were my uh, uh, that was my childhood. That's awesome. And you know, and you just talked about like the comic cons. You're going to be at the uh, ECW Arena December 18th uh, in Philadelphia. Then WrestleCade November 27th. Uh, you know, what's it like? You know, especially after what we just went through with you know, the heart of the pandemic and nobody being around each other with now things opening up, you know, being able to be out in front of fans again. Yeah. yeah well, it's awesome. I mean, it's really great that, that, you know, well, none of us, nobody's ever been through anything like this uh, pandemic has, has thrust upon us. And it, it, it lasted so long that you, I, at least I thought it was never, things were never going to get back to normal, but now with, uh, you know, with the, easing up on a little bit of the things and i say easing up on a little bit of things i mean just uh but some things are still getting getting uh even tougher i just saw a while ago that they're going to say that to be able to fly you're going to have to be fully vaccinated and so that's going to be you know that's going to be a big a big deal and everything but anyway yeah getting back to have fans in the arenas uh we just did a show just this past uh i did a show this past saturday night up in uh, Minneapolis. And as a matter of fact, uh, the ECW was right at, at another arena right down the street from where we were doing. And we were, it was a, it was a charity show that had been canceled twice because of the pandemic. And, and they said, we're not canceling it after they had it booked. Then all of a sudden EC, not ECW, uh, AEW uh, booked the show, you know, right down the street at the target center. And, and so these people said, we're not canceling again. So they ran, the show up against uh, the AEW show, and we sold out. It was it was a charity event for uh, Women of Nations, uh, which was um, uh, Native American women that, that suffered from uh, domestic violence, and so there was a lot of people. The Kurt Angle was there, the Tonka was there, and um, I wrestled in the main event. I don't need to be doing that anymore and to be in the main event where you got all that pressure on you and everything. But uh, <laughs> anyway, it turned out to be a great show and a lot of great fans there. And it's just really neat for the fans to be back in the arenas. King, what other order do you have? You mentioned Chicago. Are you going to be at that C2 E2 event in Chicago also? Yes, absolutely. That's a great, that's a great comic con. Uh, I'll be at that the weekend before that I'll be in Seattle at the Emerald city uh, Comic-Con. That's a really big one as well. Um, and then I think I may be, that may be the last ones I do until after Christmas. But what about yeah, the Chicago- WrestleCade also, right? Well, yeah, WrestleCade. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, for some reason, I don't call that a Comic-Con. That's more of a, you know, that's just fully wrestling oriented, so to speak. But uh, the Comic-Cons, that's where you meet the people that, you know, that you, uh, 
that you grew up being a fans of. Of course, I mean, you know, there are a lot of wrestlers that I have been fans of over the years too. But uh, um, you ask about autographs. I have an actual autograph room uh, in my house that I'm I'm so proud of just a lot of the uh, autographs I have. I mean, I've got a lot of the old old autographs from, uh, you know, start. I mean, going back, I've got an autograph program with um, Vivian Lee and Clark Gable from Gone with the Wind. Um, I've got one of my prized possessions is an autograph of W.C. Fields. I mean, you know, he was back wow. in the movies in the in the 30s. He... Oh, I think uh, Jerry uh, muted himself. Let's fix that quick. If we can. Oh, I, I don't know. I get a phone call, but anyway, uh, yeah. And then over the years, I mean, you know, uh, like Hugh Hefner is a big one that I've got. Oh, and two other great ones that uh, that I have: Lon Chaney Jr., who was, of course, the Wolfman in all the Universal horror movies, and then um, uh, the Frankenstein, Boris Karloff. I have both of those. I have autographed pictures of both both of those guys. And I was huge Universal monster movie fan. And gosh, I don't know. I got I got the, the Seinfeld, the whole cast of Seinfeld, Andy Griffith, Lucille Ball, Johnny Carson. Just a, a lot of really cool autographs. Uh, you mentioned Andy Griffith, and that's kind of been a bone of contention here on Busted Open, Bully. Uh, as what? You know. Well, because we talked about the, the Andy Griffith versus the Honeymooners. Andy Griffith for more for people on one side of the country and the Honeymooners for the other side of the country. So I don't know if that's something that you appreciate as well. I do, and I, I that would be a hard choice to make. Uh, a little bit too different kind of different eras and the fact that the honeymooners were, you know, preceded uh, Andy Griffith. Uh, but I guess I would probably go with Andy Griffith because I still watch Andy Griffith on a daily basis. It comes on, uh, uh, on BTV and different, different uh, stations here uh, on direct TV and everything. I still watch Andy on a daily basis. The honeymooners uh, that's, that's kind of special whenever I find a, a honeymooners episode on, but I, I loved both of those shows. King, speaking of watching things on a daily basis, do you keep up on wrestling? Do you watch any wrestling on a daily basis or a weekly basis? Not on a daily basis. No, I do not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. Sometimes it's sort of hard for me to watch. Uh, and and then, you know, I, I really have to, like I just got my schedule to be at uh, Survivor Series. And so I just, I, I, it's almost like a, uh cramming for an exam and you know back when you were in school and everything I, I really have to kind of go back and watch some shows and 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 make some notes and and find out what is actually going on it, it's it's just uh i don't know i don't i don't know it's it's i don't see how the guys in the business it's it's so tough uh you know to be doing that on a daily basis and and, and doing the commentary for raw and smackdown now is just uh i mean it's to me, it's almost brutal to to have to know and remember all of those different the the talent changes so fast and 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 all of that stuff and the matches, uh, you know, everything's so so short now. I mean, I, and it's not the fault of wrestling. People all talk about how wrestling has changed. Wrestling has not changed. It's the fans. It's the society that's changed. We've got a short attention span now, and you have to you have to and in the wrestling business, you have to realize that there's so much more stuff that fans can watch. So you have to, you have to try to keep 
this your show is so exciting. Every minute that people are watching, or they're gonna they're gonna switch over and start watching TikTok. So uh, you know, it's 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 just uh, it's changed in that respect. And sometimes for me, it's hard to follow. You know, Jerry, Bully and I have been talking a lot lately, and and one of the things that we're interested in about in Survivor Series is Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair because it seems like there is some real animosity uh, between those two. Uh, Does reality bleed into pro wrestling? Is that when pro wrestling is at its best, when there is some realism involved? I'm sure there's been times you stepped into the ring with somebody that you definitely didn't have the best feelings about. Oh, without a doubt, that that happens a lot. Um, but you do you try your best to kind of cover it up when you're actually on the air or in front of the fans. I mean, in in my case, <clears throat> probably the one of my best, uh, not only opponents but partners throughout the years was Bill Superstar Dundee. Uh, Bill and I were looking at. I, I just I'm sitting at a table where I just have to have these right in front of me. But here's the AWA World Tag Team Championship the only world tag team titles that I ever won. And Bill Dundee was my partner during that. And then also we look back and realized that Bill and I probably wrestled against each other almost 500 times. Wow. And so, and the, and that's one that most people would not realize that Bill and I never had the best relationship. There was always a little, uh, I don't, I don't know if there was animosity. I always felt it was like professional jealousy. Um, and so we, we just, we never palled around or hung around each other at all. And, and there was always that, uh, oh, I don't want to say hard feelings, but just, it was a strained relationship. And I think that's, uh, I think that's the situation that, that, uh, Becky and Charlotte find themselves in right now. And, and I think a lot of that, we, we don't want to admit it, but it is, it is professional jealousy. King, how were you and Dundee able to channel that professional jealousy or animosity or competitiveness? How were you able to harness that into doing good business with one another? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. When I look back, when I look back on my career, and it's still that this way today, uh, and especially when you see there's so many. There's so many fans out there that follow things just like busted open radio where, where you go in and you see what goes on behind the scenes in the business. And you found out uh, things like, you know, what people's relationships were in real life behind the scenes in the business. Um, And I look back on, on my career and the way I worked in wrestling and I know this probably sounds weird or sounds funny, uh, but, but in the, in the long run, I really think this has helped me <laughs> to, in, in the long run, but I never took this business seriously. I, when I started, I would have paid them to let me get in a ring. I actually told Jackie Fargo, I was an artist working for Jackie Fargo back in the day. And I, I would pay them if they would just. I said, just throw me in the ring on a Saturday morning against the main wrestlers and just let them beat the crap out of me. I just want to, I just want to be involved. I just want to be in the ring. And when it did finally happen, uh, I'll never forget one of the, one of the nights uh, that I was in the ring, I was getting ready to wrestle Don and Al Green. And 
I, I didn't even realize I was doing it. I was always so excited to be in the ring. But as the referee was giving us the instructions, Don Green just looked at me and kind of under his breath said, if you don't wipe that silly grin off your face, I'm going to slap it off. And I've, that's the first time I realized that I was so happy to be in a ring. I just, I smiled all the time. I grinned all the time. I've just, I, I couldn't believe I was really getting to do it. And I've, I've kept that same, somehow I've kept that same mental attitude over the years. And when, and, and it was almost, almost like once I, once I got to do it on a regular basis as a job, so to speak, I looked at it from that, from that point, I said, man, I got a job that I just love doing. And I, I never, I've never really thought about, um, I never really thought too seriously about matches or anything. I just went to the shows, uh, you know, they'd tell us what they wanted us to do. And half the time you remember bully back in the day, you didn't even see your opponent. They'd be dressing in another, another locker room. You never even saw them until you got out in the ring at, a lot of times when I first started. And so um, it was just, I don't know. I never took it seriously. I never, after the matches were over, I can't ever remember sitting around on the drive home talking about the match or talking about, wow, what that was so great, what we did here and, and, and all of that stuff. It, it just, I did it and it was gone and, and I was thinking about the next day. And so the, the, thing, the thing with Bill and I, and, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to make this sound all one-sided, but I've always felt that the professional jealousy was on Bill's side. Uh, because they, he came, they, he and George Barnes came into the Tennessee territory and they came in from, from Australia and they'd been the top dogs down there for a while. And Jerry Jarrett actually brought them in while I, I, I had a little beef with Jerry and I started, this was like 1976, I think. And I went down to Florida and wrestled down there for a few months. And while I was down there, that's when Jerry Jarrett brought in Dundee and Barnes and he put them right on top in the, in, in Memphis. And so then our, we, our, uh, our feelings cooled off between Jerry and I, and I came back. And of course I had been on top. And, and when I came back, Jerry put me right back on top again and he moved Dundee and Barnes down and, you know, I could tell that's that's when the hard feelings started and they never got any better. But I didn't uh, you know, I didn't like I said, I didn't take that seriously. I wasn't even thinking about it at the time that that these guys are jealous of me being in the main event and them being in the semifinal. I just I, I, I didn't think about it, you know, so. Um, uh, so I didn't I didn't even think about having to handle it. I just went out there and I could tell that uh, that Dundee didn't really like me. And but. I just put that aside and we just, we, we always had great matches. I mean, that was something about our chemistry and it may be the fact that, you know, that animosity actually came through a little bit during our matches. But um, so maybe that was one of the reasons that we worked so well together. You say you didn't take it seriously, King. I would, I, and do you mean you didn't take it seriously as far as being in the ring? Because you can't build up a territory like Memphis like you did without taking the business of the business seriously. So as a businessman, I would assume you took it more seriously? Not really. <laughs> wow. I really didn't. Uh, Jerry Jarrett and I had a – I mean, everything that happened to me throughout my career – uh, I was I was just uh, amazed at, I mean like, uh, and I and I always 
maybe this was one of the reasons that I got as far as I did. I never question any promoter that I work for. Never. I mean, you know, I hear nowadays that, uh, <laughs> you know, just stories like, like a, a writer or creative people will go in and talk to a talent and they'll say, mm, I don't think my character would do that. I mean, you know, to me, that just sounds so silly and so crazy. I, you know, I never, ever once questioned any promoter on any finish or anything they ever wanted to do. And of course, Jerry Jarrett was, uh, Jerry Jarrett was the one that I started with other than, than the old time promoter was Nick Goulas. And then all of a sudden, uh, I mean, you know, when I got, when I got put in the main event situation uh, in that, in that spot, I, I was just, I don't know. I just didn't think about it. I just was, uh, I was just, I was happy to be there of course, but I just knew that that was somebody else's decision. And uh, then all of a sudden in 1977, Jerry Jarrett came to me and said, uh, look, I, I'm, I'm going to go in business for myself. I'm going to break away from the, the uh, longtime promoter, Nick Goulas, and go in business for myself. And I would like you to come with me. And in order to entice you to come with me, I'm going to give you part of the company. And so, I mean, talk about me just, I mean, my, I don't know. I got lightheaded at the time. I'm thinking, holy crap, I can't believe this is happening. It was, once again, it was like the same feeling that I had the first time I got in a wrestling ring. Couldn't believe it was happening. But then, um, and, and I don't know, I was, I've always been a last minute kind of guy. It, from that, it went on to when you take, talk about taking the business serious. Um, we had a deal going for a long time where Jerry Jarrett would book for six months. And then at the end of that six months, the very one, the very next day after that six months was over, I started booking and I booked for six months and our booking was totally different. I mean, when you say take things seriously, when you're, you know, part of the owners or, or part of the part of the business end of it, uh, I mean, Jerry would start working on on TV the minute the minute the TV was done on a Saturday afternoon. He would start then at that point, he would start working on next Saturday's TV and start booking it and working and just I mean, uh, and then then when I started booking, when it was my turn after the six months. I would wait, I would procrastinate, I would not even think about it, and I would always book Saturday morning's TV when the matches were over on Friday night in either Tupelo or Blytheville, Arkansas. I had an hour and a half drive, somebody would be driving me from, uh, from that town into Memphis, and that's when I would book TV, on the fly, right there Amazing. during that hour and a half. And, and somehow, I mean, most people would say, that's crazy, you can't do that, but uh, it, somehow it always worked, and I mean, Guys would come to me. I wouldn't, uh, you know, guys would come to me for their interviews during the TV. And I hadn't even thought about it until they came up. And, and I would just just give them something off the top of my head. And fortunately, for some reason, usually it worked. But that's the way I've always, I've been a, uh, which is not a good thing, but I've been a huge procrastinator throughout my entire career. I waited till the last minute to do everything. Um, even up when, when, when I started doing commentary with Jim Ross, um, it was so great because Jr. would Jr. would be so, um, you know, so meticulous with all his preparations for the show. And he knew, I mean, Jr. knew all the statistics. He knew everything. I used to say he even knows where Hidden Valley Ranch is. He knows everything, right? <laughs> so, so, so I would just, uh, it was so great. All I had to do was just walk out there and show up. And, and 90% of the time, that's exactly what I did. I just sat down. 
and just started winging it right off the top of my head. And, and, and then, of course, thanks to Jr. and Michael Cole as well. Uh, you know, they they handled all the heavy, heavy lifting. And I just I just got to wing it and have fun. You know, Jerry, uh, we, we talk about how pro wrestling has changed so much. And Bully and I talk about this. Like, obviously, the wrestlers are extremely athletic. You get moonsaults and 360s and, you know, you know, triple Lindy's and everything else in the ring nowadays. You, you be careful, were... be, care, be careful how you do all these moves because I really believe that that may be one of the reasons I'm not doing commentary on Raw right now. You know, I I, I didn't call a move a triple Lindy. I called a move a ramen noodle moonsault. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I was the biggest racist ever for saying ramen noodle moonsault with a Japanese wrestler in the ring. But so anyway, I don't know who Triple Lindy might offend, but it might offend somebody. It will. It definitely will. Uh, but yeah, go ahead with your point. No, but you are one of the biggest baby faces of all time. One of the biggest box office draws of all time. And and really, and I and I mean this as a compliment. You were able to do it with, you know, a right-handed fist. You know, like you know that right fist that you would give meant more than any kind of off the top rope. You know, three sixty whatever. Like. It was so simple. Like, do, doesn't it come down when it comes to pro wrestling? It's simplistic at its nature. Well, I've always felt that way. Um, it, and it is always about, at least to me, it's about telling the story. And now during the match and, you know, you could, you could have a certainly, I mean, you, you find yourself in a position to tell a story, whether you have eight minutes for a match or whether you have 20 minutes for a match or, Back in the day, we used to have a 60-minute Broadway where we'd go, you know, go to a draw. And so you just you just have to uh, figure out how to tell your story in the amount of time that you're going to have. And nowadays, I don't see how these guys do it. I, they, you know, the matches are so so short on the TV shows. Uh, it's almost impossible to tell a story in the match. So I think what they've resorted to is, well we'll tell our story with the interviews, which, I mean, which this, this is obviously what they're doing nowadays. And then and I can't, I can't say that it's not working, but th- instead of telling the story in the ring, they substitute all of these crazy high spots, all of these crazy moves and, and uh, triple Indies and all of that sort of stuff, instead of telling a story. And they, and they, you know, we used to say in the business, you talk the fans into the arenas. And, and I think that's still true. The most important thing is not, is not the wrestling part of the show. It's, it's the interviews. It's the promos. It's the talking, the two opponents talking to each other. Uh, I mean, and that, that goes for everything. You know, back in, I mean, in, in football, you'd always look for that locker room uh, comment that would get the other team fired up. Or in, in boxing, the most exciting thing in boxing matches would be the weigh-in where the two guys would face off and, you know, shove each other and that sort of thing. And 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 that would that, and that was the same thing with wrestling. The most exciting thing about it, uh, you know, was the promos leading up to the matches. And and the difference now, you know, the difference back then was we used the matches to tell part of the story, uh, to go along to complement what we did on our promos. But nowadays it's just um, – the matches are all the are the high spots. They're just all the all the crazy flips and flops and that sort of thing. And, and I'm not saying it's bad. It's obviously working. Uh, but thank goodness they still have the the promos in there to you know to um, 
to talk to still to talk the fans into the arenas. Well, you'll be at WrestleCade November 27th in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Also, uh, December 18th in Philadelphia, the old ECW arena where uh, I can't very... believe I'm, I can't believe I'm going back into that arena. <laughs> <laughs> you love that place, King. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, uh, that that's one of the things that I don't ever forget is that feeling that night, uh, you know, the first time coming from WWE and showing up in that uh, ECW arena, uh, the, you know, the first time the fans didn't know that I was going to be there. And uh, to talk about animosity. I think there was a lot of, I think there was a lot of real animosity from not just the fans, of course, but from some of the ECW talent uh, that, that I was there uh, I, I just, I don't, I don't think a lot of the people went along with, with Paul Heyman's decision to, uh, you know, to involve a, a WWE talent in the, in their shows. I mean, years later, you got to have a little bit of an appreciation for it though, right? Oh yeah. I mean, it was, Hey, I really always did. I, I'm, this is almost like the Andy Kaufman stuff. I really, I I'm hesitant to say, um, uh, you know, I'm hesitant to sometimes tell the behind the scenes truth about things. But I mean, everybody thought that I just really could not stand ECW. Uh, and, and but, you know, we, we all know that, that this is a business and we all work and sometimes we work together. And I was the only one from WWE that went over and worked with you guys. So, I mean, you know, I, I, there had to be I mean, there had to be not that that uh, there had to be some sort of feeling there that, that I agreed to, to go and, and, and work. And I thought what we did was, was fantastic. Really. Um, I, I, I always, I, I actually use the example of you and Cornette and watching, you know, over the years, I've heard stories that you and Heyman may not have been the best buddies and Cornette and Heyman, you know, sure as hell uh, weren't on each other's Christmas card list. But to watch right. you come into the arena and do business and to watch Cornette walk into the arena and shake hands with Paul Heyman all in the all in the interest of good business, where the only thing that matters is the match, is the business, and, and personal feelings set aside, I wish more of that could go on today in wrestling because I think there are – there are a lot of animosities, a lot of jealousies, like you were talking about uh, earlier, that uh, don't allow people to understand that it's all about generating a buck, and, and that's it. Right. And, you know, when when I look back and what you said about Cornette and Paul Heyman and our, our feelings uh, that go back a long way, actually. But in, in my case, some of the things that, that I would do and I was just doing it because that was just that was just my character or whatever. And I was doing a lot of times th stuff that I thought would be funny and entertaining. Um, I'll never forget Jackie Fargo used to tell me, "Funny means no money." And uh, but I I, I I never I never uh, I never subscribed to that theory. I always thought funny meant entertaining, and there was always a place for a little bit of humor in wrestling. I always thought that. But in my case, a lot of the things that I would say about my opponent in trying to just be funny actually caused some hard feelings. And I didn't even realize it at the time. I mean, I, I, I you know, I came from an era when you could just uh, I mean, you could just 
say or do anything about your opponent. And they, it, they, everybody knew it was part of the business. But there, over the years, some people have taken it personally. Case in point, Bill Dundee. I mean, Bill is not the tallest wrestler in the world. I mean, I got socks taller than Bill Dundee. And I used to say things like that. Wow. I talked deeply about him. And, that's, and that, that caused some real – he never let it show, except when sometimes when we got in the ring. But I think some of the things I said about Bill Dundee caused some real underlying animosity there. Later on in WWE, about Bret Hart. I mean, he's told, he's told me this later. You know, the first, the first deal I or angle I worked in, in WWE was, was with Bret the Hitman Hart. And naturally, when I looked at this situation – I said, what's in my mind? I said, you know, what what can I say that would in the fans eyes would make them think Bret Hart and, and Jerry Lawler hate each other? So I went with some, you know, the insults on Bret's parents, not knowing at the time that that really pissed Bret off. And he didn't tell me until later. And it was a it was a while later after we stopped working together that his mother actually told him Helen Hart told Bret that she said, oh, no, we love that when Jerry Lawler would talk about us. Stu and I loved it because it made us part of the, you know, part of the event. It brought us in and gave us gave us some notoriety. We loved it. And it wasn't until Brett's mother told him that, that he changed his feelings towards me. I mean, there was there was really animosity when I worked with Brett. I mean, I'll never forget. I mean, he put a he gave put a sharpshooter on me that lasted until they actually that was a this was a shoot. They had to come in the ring and, and pull him off of me. And um, yeah, so uh, so that that thing. And then talking about ECW. I made one little comment on TV when you guys were doing the invasion and uh, with, oh, gosh, with Taz and Taz was in the ring and I was doing the commentary at that time with Vince McMahon. And and it was like, you know, we, we were seeing you guys for the first time on our TV. And and I just made the comment to Vince. I said, wow, look at Taz. He looked, he looked a lot bigger on the Lucky Charms box. And, <laughs> and that, <laughs> that really stuck with him over the years. I mean, he's, he's kind of brought it up to me. Uh, I mean, I mean, I just, it was a joke. I didn't mean anything personal by it, but it sounded personal to him, obviously. And I think that, you know, we, we I, I don't know. We worked together a lot, but but I always felt that there was a little bit of animosity there just because of that one comment that I said about it. Wow. Uh, Jerry, thank you. We could talk to you for hours. We really appreciate your time again. You'll be at WrestleCade November 27th in Winston, Salem, North Carolina, and then December 18th at the old ECW Arena in Philly. Jerry, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Busted Open is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. The producers are Gabby Laspisa, sound design by Neri Bailon. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen, and SiriusXM Fight Nation program director, Marissa Rivas. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters 
both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.